Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Genesis, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how many of you are list makers? You like to make lists. You make lists of all the things you need to accomplish, maybe in the week, right? Things that you want to do in your house, with your family, on your own. You put a list together, and you have it somewhere where you can find it and look at it. I imagine that many of us today make lists on our phones, right? Because we have them right there. But there are maybe some of us that make a physical list on a piece of paper. And, you know, the important stuff may even get put on a calendar, right? So that we have reminders for them. Again, calendars on our phone, but maybe we have physical calendars as well. Maybe we use both. And maybe on top of that, right, on top of lists and reminders and notes, maybe some of us even like sticky notes. Anyone? Right? It's, yeah, it's further reminders, right, of the things that we need to do, that we, you know, continue to make these nice long lists, put them, you know, hopefully in places where we'll be able to see them. Imagine the kind of list that Noah had to make in order to build this ark. This ark, this massive ark, that is 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, with multiple decks. Creation Museum, which is from the organization Answers in Genesis, has replicated this ark. And it's in Kentucky, that's what you see here, and it's called the Ark Encounter. So if you ever wanted to see a life-size ark, just make your way to Kentucky. And Noah's list, of course, wasn't just for the building of the ark. It would have been for all the animals that needed to get on the ark as well. And all the food that they needed to take. Not just for eating. You might imagine feeding all these animals, you'd need a pretty decent supply of food. But maybe also for planting later. Since the whole earth is going to be destroyed, I mean, they might need seeds for future crops. Now, Noah's Ark might be one of the most famous stories of the Bible. And you might even hear people tell you that, you know, there are lots of cultures throughout the world that have some sort of flood story or a flood myth in their history. And as a result, you know, the Bible is just stealing from them. I mean, you can search and find lists of all of the different cultures that have some type of flood narrative. You might also hear stories from others that, you know, that this flood did not cover the entire earth. That, you know, it was just this area that these people, you know, Noah and his family, that's just the area that they lived in, right? That that is what actually was flooded. But back in this day, these people who are living there, that's what they knew as their world, right? The earth. And so their world, which was their town or their village or city or country, right? That is what was flooded. That's what they considered their entire world. But that it really wasn't the whole earth. 
to do this, though, we'd have to say that the Bible is not the Word of God. Because then the Bible would be lying about the flood taking place, about the whole narrative, which it says it covered the whole earth. As well as plenty of other things that the world will tell us is false, that the Bible lies about, that it's not true. Because the world doesn't want to believe in God, let alone a God who floods the whole earth, destroying all of the people in it. Well, most of the people, at least. So you're left with trusting God's word, these ancient words, or trusting the world, today's world. What are you going to choose? Now, I know you might be thinking, well, it's pretty obvious, right? I'm going to trust God's word. But do you? Do you trust God's word above all other words? Because, you know, this is really first commandment stuff. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. When you're faced with tough decisions in life, is God the first person you go to? When you're having a bad day and really need someone to vent to, do you vent to God first and ask him to help you out? When you're having a wonderful day, do you first thank God for all that he's done for you? When you rise in the morning, is God your first thought? And when you lay down your head at night, is God your last thought? Or when you wake up or go to bed, are you thinking about all the things that you need to do? I'm sure I'm not the only one. I think that as we look at our own selves, our own thoughts, our own hearts, Maybe we find ourselves to be just like the people of Noah's time. That we are wicked. And that every intentions of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Do you find that your actions, your thoughts, your heart is more often than not bad? If so, then you would have really fit in well with the whole world at this time. Or do you find that your actions, your thoughts, and your heart are pretty good most of the time? Do you see yourself more as Noah in the story? Righteous, blameless, walking with God. That you are in a right relationship with God. Would you have been the one building the ark? Would you have been the one collecting all the food necessary? ushering the animals in? Would you have been the one looking at Noah building the ark and thinking that he's crazy? Or would you have seen Noah building the ark and believed? I know where I'm likely to find myself. I see myself in exactly what God saw. The whole earth, all flesh, was corrupt. I am corrupt. My thoughts, 
my heart, my mind, are evil. I am constantly trying to avoid temptations. And sometimes I do, and lots of times I don't. And as a result, I, just like God told Noah about the world, deserve death, deserve to be destroyed, wiped off the face of the earth. I deserve punishment for my sins, for not living my life the way that God has called me to live it. I deserve eternal death for my sin. I deserve hell. What about you? Do you find yourself with me in my boat? Right over here? In the boat that only holds death and destruction and condemnation and hell? Or are you in Noah's boat? The boat of salvation. The boat for the righteous, the blameless, those who walk with God. Think about this story and what you can learn from it. Because the story that we should focus on isn't so much about how Noah is righteous and blameless in his generation and how he walked with God. I mean, while all of these things are true, we also know that Noah was a sinner. He gets drunk after the flood. And I mean, spending all of those days on the ark with all of the animals and with his family. I mean, I know I, know I could probably have used a drink or ten. I'm just kidding. We don't make excuses for sin. Noah wasn't perfect. None of us are. The part of the story we also don't want to focus on either is the great disaster of the flood. I mean, yes, the earth was corrupt. The people were corrupt. The people deserved death. The same goes for us too, though. The part of the story we want to focus on is God's deliverance to Noah and through Noah. This is the takeaway. Because as much as we think Noah was the best of the best, remember the whole earth was corrupt. Noah isn't excluded from that. So really, I mean, Noah was, I guess, the best of the worst. I mean, imagine God's looking at his lineup of, of evildoers, of sinners, and the lot falls on Noah as his only option. Again, Noah walked with God. He was a follower. He worshipped God. And we know that Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness. So Noah was somebody who shared his faith with the people. Christmas wasn't all that long ago. And I mean, you think about the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Right? The angels who bring the message of God. I mean, Noah was a herald bringing the message of God. In all of the years that Noah was building this ark, he proclaimed the word of God to them. Whenever his neighbors asked him what he was doing, he actually told them. And he probably even called them to repentance, warning them that God was going to be sending a flood on the earth. And in the end, God saves Noah and his family. But Noah doesn't get credit for saving his family. Noah is just the person that God uses to preserve humanity. God gives salvation to Noah and his family. And through Noah, 
the world will continue on after the flood. And when they're all aboard the ark, all the animals and Noah's family, God is the one who shuts the door. God closes them in in the ark. God is the one who protects them. God keeps them safe. God is the one who delivers them. God is the one who saves. And after the rain stops and the waters recede and everyone gets off the ark, God gives them a promise, a covenant, that he will never destroy the whole earth again with a flood. Never again will there be this universal destruction. And as a sign of God's covenant with Noah, he puts the rainbow in the sky. God's promise to to his people that he will never flood the earth again is something that we are reminded of every time we see a rainbow today. But the rainbow is not just for us. It's for God as well. Because you see, it says, it's for God to remember. The rainbow is God's little sticky note. It's God's reminder of his promise to us. That he will never flood the earth again. So even when he sees the rainbow, he is reminded of his promise. And to this day, God has kept his promise. Just like God kept his promise after Adam and Eve sinned, the promise that he would send a savior. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, sure, that promise to send a Savior didn't happen right away. The people of God had to wait a long time. But it did happen at just the right moment. When those angels, those heralds of good news of great joy, told of the birth of the Savior, the Savior who would die for the sins of the world, the Savior who would die for all of the ungodly and unrighteous and evildoers, The Savior who would die for sinners like Noah, sinners like me, and sinners like you. And the Savior who would rise from the dead, defeating sin, death, and the devil once and for all. The Savior who would save his people, not by going into a boat and being shut in, but going into a grave, into a tomb, and being shut in. But the grave could not hold him because death does not have the last word. Just like the flood did not have the last word over all creation. God gave the promise that he will never flood the earth again. Christ does not remain dead. And he gives the promise that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. that all will live forever. And death does not have the last word on those who believe either. This is God's everlasting covenant with his people. And when Jesus returns again, just like he promised, he will take us to be with him in paradise forever. Until that day comes, though, we live in today's world. And we hear God's ancient words. And today's world... It's a little bit like Noah's world. 
I mean, sure, there isn't some guy building a gigantic boat in the middle of his front yard, talking about the rain that's coming even though there's not a cloud in the sky. But it's hard to argue that the world is not corrupt and evil and violent. That the wickedness of man is constant. And the selfish human beings are only looking out for their selfish selves. And sure, the world will be destroyed one day, but not with a flood. It will be when Jesus returns, as the gospel reading for today said. He warned that it will be just like the flood when it came, that it will come when people do not expect it. It will take them by surprise. And so we who believe, like Noah, are called to be ready, to be prepared. Except we don't need an ark. The world doesn't need an ark. The world has churches all around. And if you can imagine a church, it's like a little ark. What did the ark do? It provided safety for Noah and his family, who were chosen to be saved by God. The ark kept them afloat. What does the church do? It provides a safe place for God's chosen people. God's chosen people who have been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. The church, which is the place that distributes God's means of grace, his word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, his forgiveness. These are the things that keep our lives afloat when we're drowning in our sins and our struggles and our sufferings and our health issues, whether it's physical or mental or spiritual. These are the things that save us because these are the things that God does for us. You heard in the New Testament reading that baptism corresponds to Noah and his family being brought safely through the water. You are brought safely through the water of baptism. And baptism saves you. Faith saves you. And faith comes through the hearing of the word. The word is combined with the water in baptism. The word is combined with the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper, which also gives us Christ's body and blood for our forgiveness, for our salvation. God's word, his sacraments, his church saves us because he saves us. And then he uses us to be his heralds, to tell the good news of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. And we tell it to the world so that the world may see our little ark, this church, and come and see what it's all about and hear the word and receive God's gifts and also be saved through faith. For that is what God desires not to destroy the earth, but that all would be saved by him and through him. And he even uses little old me and little old you 
because it is he that makes us righteous. It is he that brings us into a right relationship with him so that we can walk with him daily. Because he, and he alone, is our salvation. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.